Now, I want to tell you about the relationship between Pastor Don and Doug. Every once in a while, I have, for some reason, my phone has Brother Doug's number in it. I don't even know why, but anyway, it's there. And Pastor Don would say, I need to call Doug. And I'd say, okay, here's the number, and he'd call. And he would, Doug would say, Don would say, what can I pray with you about? Doug would say, well, I'm having a little trouble with my business that I'm running. Would you pray for me, Pastor? And I would hear Pastor Don praying throughout the week many times for you, Doug. I would hear him call on God on Doug's behalf. Another time he'd say, can I call Doug? And I'd say, well, yeah, <laughs> call Doug. So he would pick up the phone and call Dub and say, Dub, what's going on? And Dub would say, well, I'm having some major health issues. You could pray for me. And he did. Then I need to call Dub. And he would find out that Dub was leaving for a missions trip, even though he had just gotten previously a bad report health-wise. And Don was so concerned, I could hear him calling on God for Dub that the mission trip would be successful. And when Dub came back, I understand it was very successful. And I just want to say to you today that we have a, a couple here with us today that have been very involved in the city of Durham. Pam has served on the um, council of Durham and Dub is very involved in all the affairs of the city. And we are so proud of what y'all have done to partner with us as Durham ministers in prayer and to partner with us in our city to stand firm on what we believe and that God will bring a revival to Durham. And I know you believe that and we do too. So I wanna to present to you today, our friend and our fellow minister in Christ, Doug Carrick. Thank you, Carol. That was a very gracious introduction. Um, yeah, Don and I go back a long way, um, and, and we share uh, so much in common. Uh, it's really a privilege and an honor to be here with you today. I'm going to talk to you today about freedom, and uh, my brother could not have set this up better. <laughs> um, uh, Carol's talked about that Don had prayed for me as I'd gone on a mission trip. Um, I spend, I spend a lot of time these days. I retired as a pastor about four years ago, I guess, and um, ran a business for a while and have done a lot of work overseas, a lot of work um, in missions. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that today in regard to freedom. So I'm happy to be here on your mission Sunday too. Appreciate that you guys are doing that. Um, if you could put that first scripture up, uh, it's Second Corinthians 3.17, and this is going to be my, my key text. Uh, it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, no, I'm sorry, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Um, other translations say freedom. There's freedom. And I want to focus on the part today about the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, there is freedom. Um, I have some pictures I want to show you of some friends of mine that um, are part of the mission trip that Don was praying for me about. Last year I was in Iraq and I was in Turkey for a while. And um, Pam and I have been to Turkey 
two or three, four times, I don't know, something. And I want to show you some of our friends in Turkey. So um, if we could get that, there we go, that first picture up. Um, these are our friends. That is Georgette and his wife, Abla. And Georgette, when Pam and I first went to meet, these are Syrian Turkmen people. They're from Syria. They have been living in Turkey as refugees because, as you might know, there's been a war going on for 12 years in Syria. And so they came there as refugees. One of uh, the missionaries that we work with, Johnny Hayes, um, has a heart for the Middle Eastern Turkmen people. And he began working with them, and we were doing translation of the Bible into their language, the Middle Eastern Turkmen language. And so um, Johnny, uh, Georgette was one of the guys that Johnny hired to help him do translation, even though he was not a believer in Jesus Christ. And oddly enough, from translating the Bible um, and reading the scriptures and hearing the gospel, the first time Pam and I were there, um, we went to meet with some of, the, some of the Turkmen that Johnny was working with and Georgette. Um, that was the first night that he professed to believe in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So uh, that's Georgette and Abla. And um, the reason I'm showing them to you is because I'm going to tell you about what they're currently doing. They have been located in southern Turkey, and that's where a lot of our work has been. Uh, can you bring up the next slide, please? This is um, another couple. Uh, his name is Cooley, and her name is um, Rania. Uh, and they are um, part of this group that we work with. And the reason I'm showing you these people is because on Friday they left uh, their place in Turkey. They gave up their refugee status uh, to move back to Syria. They're trying to cross the border and get back into Syria. Um, there's, it's very difficult where they are in Turkey. It's very difficult to be a refugee. Uh, the Turks do not like them and want them out of there. And it's very difficult, especially for them to be Christian. Um, that brings even more persecution and oppression. So uh, Kuli and Rania are also headed back uh, to Syria, and uh, that's them and their daughter. And the one thing that you can't see is that she is nine months pregnant and just about ready to pop. And you would think that's not a good time to be traveling, uh, especially trying to go back into a war zone. But... Um, Mary did it, so I guess, you know, um, God will take care of this. Um, put up the next picture, please. This is, uh, y'all recognize Pam, that's my wife, and uh, the girl in the center, that is uh, Rachel. Um, she is our goddaughter, and she, this September, will be moving to Turkey to work with the Turkmen women. And then the lady um, on your right there, that is um, Zainab. She's married to um, a guy named Fatty, and he's also on our translation team, and he was the second person to give his life to Christ publicly. Okay. Next uh, slide. Yeah, this is me and some of the guys. This is most of, mostly our translation team. You see the guy over pointing toward that book? That is the New Testament. We just published that this past year and we're distributing that starting in Iran and going all the way across the Middle East. This is the first time they've ever had the Word of God in their language. And these are the guys that worked on that translation. Um, the, uh, the guy in the white shirt, his name is Sajad. 
He's from Iran, and as you may know, uh, Christians are heavily persecuted in Iran as well. Um, Sajjad and some of his sisters, they were all um, heavily persecuted, put in uh, the notorious Evan prison in um, Iran, um, tortured, and uh, they were finally able to get out and flee for their lives. And he's, he's been working, he's the leader of our translation team, he speaks their language, um, but we had to relocate him from Turkey into Spain because his life is in danger um, and the Iranians keep trying to kill him. So um, that's who those people are. And then um, next, please. This is some of the church and they're praying for me <laughs> because um, as Don mentioned, I was diagnosed with a, a, a condition that uh, is supposed to kill me. Guess what? Not dead. Um, <laughs> so, um, but those, these are my dear friends. Um, and if the next slide, please, this is uh, the last one I want to show you. So this is about half the church. There's, uh, at, there's at any one time, there's probably 35, 40 people in the church. And as of Friday, 18 of them left to move back to Syria. Um, they, as it turns out, they were not able to make it into Syria. So now they are in a, a no man's land um, in between the two countries. And I would appreciate it if you would pray for these guys. We believe that God's sending them back to Syria to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with them so that they can reach their own people for Christ. So, um, you know, the question I think would, for all of us would be, why did they go? I mean, they knew this was going to be difficult. And, you know, Rania's nine months pregnant and couldn't they just wait till she had the baby? And why did they go? Um, they felt like that that's what the Lord wanted them to do. And sometimes when God tells you to do something, you've just got to do it, even when you don't understand exactly what's going to happen. Um, so we're going to talk about freedom today, and I want to ask you this question. Do you think they are free? I'm not asking you to answer that. I just want you to think about that. Do you think they are free? You know, here in America, as Christians, especially in America, we, we know all about freedom, right? Or at least we think we do. I mean, we're celebrating Independence Day this weekend, you know. Um, and if we're free, is it because of the way our nation was founded and because of those foundational documents and the way the founders wrote things up, or is it because of Jesus Christ? Why are we free? The, uh, as you may remember, it took a little revolutionary war uh, for Americans to become free. And that's exactly the same thing that's been going on in Syria for the last 12 years, a fight against a tyrannical monarch. The difference in Syria is that there's hardly any Christians there. So they're not necessarily dependent on Jesus Christ or on the Lord for their freedom. Here in America, we celebrate our freedom, the 4th of July, um, with a day off work and a trip to the beach or the pool or the lake and uh, with cookouts and baseball and ice cream and fireworks, which by the way, John Adams would have been proud of. He wrote his wife and said that, you know, this should be a national holiday and that everybody should celebrate kind of in these ways. And of course, this year we also get to complain about high gas prices and how much the hot dogs cost. But we're free to do that. And that's kind of remarkable because freedom is not a universal privilege, not a universal experience for people. 
Let me give you an example from the scripture. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, Colossians 3.11 says that in Christ, there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. I want to focus on that Scythian part there for just a minute. Does anybody know where Scythia is? This is the only time this is mentioned in the Bible. Anybody got any idea? Yeah, me neither. Okay, so... So Scythia, as it turns out, is on the northern side of the Black Sea. And um, it's, it's an area that went from there actually all the way over to where Turkmenistan is today. But it's the northern side of the Black Sea. And in AD 55, the Apostle Andrew, who is Simon Peter's brother, you remember Andrew, the guy that Jesus first called? Andrew went to Scythia, he traveled there, and he began evangelizing and converting people and making disciples. And he went up this river and he erected a cross in Scythia at this place on this hill on this river because he thought this, there's something momentous about this. He put a cross up there and he prophesied that day that this would be the foundation of a great Christian city. That hill where he planted that cross is now present day Kiev, Ukraine. Ukraine has a long history of the Christian faith ever since the first apostles, the first disciples. And would you say that our Christian brothers and sisters who are worshiping today in Ukraine, because they are still there, do you think they feel free? As missiles scream over their heads and plow into their neighborhoods and hit their schools and their churches and kill people? What is freedom? Why are some people free and others are not? Where does freedom come from anyway? What is freedom, really? A lot of people think that freedom just means, well, we can do, that means we can do anything we want to without any consequences. Is that what freedom means? Okay. Let me, let me talk about a few things that have happened in history. I'm a history buff, so pardon me if I wax historical this morning. Um, in 1991, the, the Iron Curtain fell. Some of you in this room will remember that. Some of you will not. But the Iron Curtain fell, the Soviet Union disintegrated, and people were for the first time freed for com from communism. Why did that happen? Why did it collapse? Some people point to economic and political and psychological factors, but maybe the accumulated pressure of decades of people yearning to be free was just too much to hold together an atheistic government that was without God and without any morals. Or maybe it was the combined weight of multitudes of nearly 50 years of prayer of faithful believers who lived in, there, in that, those countries that was collected by God until the appointed time and answered in a breathtaking way that only God could accomplish. Everybody was shocked. It seemed that it just happened suddenly. That's why it was such a big deal in society and in our world. It surprised almost everyone. Well, that was a while back. And now there's another tyrannical monarch that is determined to rebuild the former Soviet Union by force. And he has the blessing of the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church. 
That's a branch of the church that grew out of the seed of that cross that was planted in Kiev by Andrew the Apostle. That area came to be known as Kievan Rus because the Rus people were there and that's where you get the name Russia and that's where they come from and that's where that church comes from. And so now you have the patriarch of a branch of that church fighting against another branch of the church. Why would the church support Putin's schemes? Why would they support his war? You know, I'm old. Um, for most of you, the fall of communism is ancient history. But let me use a current example, one that I'm sure you can identify with, and that's the overturning of Roe versus Wade. In 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court declared a new constitutional right to abortion that did not exist, and it resulted in the violent deaths of over 63 million babies. Is that freedom? That's not freedom. That's sin and that's death. And that's exactly what Jesus came to set us free from. And so God's people once again prayed for nearly 50 years. Seems to be something going on there. If you're praying about something you haven't prayed 50 years yet, hang in. God's working. God's people prayed for nearly 50 years and suddenly it seems at long last, God answered, states are once again free to let babies live. Maybe the fall of communism and this court ruling are the result of God's justice on display. They're signs and precursors to the time when Jesus is going to return to judge and to free his creation from all evil. One day, suddenly and at long last, Jesus will come back. We've been waiting a long time, but it's going to happen like that. He will appear in the clouds and everyone is going to see him. That's what the Bible tells us. And he's coming this time not as the long-suffering Lamb of God, but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There will be a day of reckoning. Finally, the world will be free of the tyranny of sin and death once and for all. That's coming. It's sure. It's certain. When Jesus came the first time, he stood up in the synagogue and he read from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And he said this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. And then if anybody was wondering before he sat down and he went, today that prophecy's been fulfilled in your hearing, that's me. The Bible tells us a couple of things when we think about freedom and what it is. Well, number one, freedom doesn't come from man. We may have to fight for it sometimes and participate in what God's doing, but freedom doesn't come from man. God alone grants freedom. No Jesus, no freedom. Number two, freedom always comes with a price. And the price for our freedom was the death of the Son of God on our behalf. And the reason for that is because the Bible also tells us the wages of sin is death. That price had to be paid. Without Jesus and Savior, as our Savior and Lord, we're like prisoners on death row. I want you to think about this. You may have heard this example before, but it's really powerful for me. 
Consider yourself as a sinner convicted of sin and waiting to die because the wages of sin is death and you are in prison. And that's your lot. When suddenly down the hall walks Jesus Christ and he walks up to your cell and he takes his keys and he opens the door and he invites you to come out. You walk out of that cell. He embraces you. He lays his hands on you. He forgives you of your sins. He sets you free and says, go and sin no more. And that's not the end. Then he walks into your cell, pulls the door shut behind him and locks the door with the keys that only he has and waits for the punishment that you were due. And then they come and get him, take him to a cross, and he dies for our sins. That's what he did for us. The good news is he didn't stay there. He didn't stay dead. In Revelation 1.18, Jesus says this, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Jesus overcame sin and death knowing we could never do it ourselves, and so he did it for us. And that's where we get our freedom. And so here we are today, Christians, living in a Christian nation that God founded. Honestly, he did. If you don't believe that, just ask someone from another country about America. I spend a lot of time in other countries. A lot of people are trying to get here. You know why? They want freedom. And they'll tell you, we have freedoms here in the United States that they don't have. And they believe that it has something to do with being a Christian. They're not wrong. They understand that. They want freedom. And honestly, they don't understand why we as Americans are not more serious about our faith. They look and they see that as Christians, as this Christian nation, we have compromised our faith. We're not living by the principles that this country was founded on. We're not living by the scripture that we say that we believe in. And they don't understand that. Neither do I. I want to show you one final picture. These are some of our friends who live in Turkmenistan. That's a church meeting right there. They have to meet in secret. They are very highly persecuted. Think, think North Korea on steroids. It's bad. So these people are in this church meeting. And if you look at the people all the way on the left, the back, the, the back two, those are, those are our friends. I can't tell you their real names. I'll call them Matt and Sylvia. And they go around ministering to people. There are several thousand believers in Turkmenistan now. When we first got involved, there was not one. And now there are several thousand. The amazing thing about this, this particular meeting, all the people that you see there in that picture, they're deaf. This is a deaf church. They have a really hard time because people there consider this, that, that God, they're being punished by God. They are cursed by God somehow because they're deaf. So when they hear about Jesus Christ, it truly is 
good news for them. And they got saved. Now, everybody that's a Christian there is not deaf. Don't get me wrong. I just wanted you to see these folks. These are our friends who are there working. Until recently, though, these thousands of people, we got involved in 1997, and there were very few Christians then. Um, the first Christian in modern times uh, in Turkmenistan was in 1992. A guy went to Moscow to go to school there, and while he was there, he got saved. And then he went back and tried to evangelize his own people. Had a hard time, as you might imagine. Interestingly, he was never taught about the Holy Spirit when he got saved. And when he went back, he was trying to help. They finally opened up the country. Some missionaries came in. And those missionaries didn't teach about the Holy Spirit either. So in Acts chapter 19, verse 2, it says this. So it tells us Paul came to Ephesus and finding some disciples there, some disciples, these were people who were already Christian, already saved, already baptized. They tell them they had been baptized, you know, with the baptism of John the Baptist. And he, says, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we haven't even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul begins to teach them about the Holy Spirit. And then he baptizes them in the name of Jesus. He lays his hands on them. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak with tongues and to prophesy. So this is what happened with our friends in Turkmenistan. They believe in Jesus. They've been baptized, but they know nothing about the Holy Spirit. And in 2018... Our friends came to us and they said, there's got to be more than this. We're struggling. We are oppressed. We are persecuted. And we need more of God. We've heard about this Holy Spirit. Can you please come teach us? And so Pam and I and a group from our church, we went to Istanbul, Turkey, and we met with pastors and leaders of the church in Turkmenistan. And we taught them about the Holy Spirit and explained about the baptism with the Holy Spirit and about the spiritual gifts. And then we laid hands on them and they prophesied and spoke in tongues. And they've gone back into their country and they're going around the country from church to church, from house to house, teaching people about the Holy Spirit and baptizing people in the Holy Spirit. They're free. Even though they are heavily persecuted, even though when they are caught having a church meeting, they are arrested they are interrogated, sometimes they are tortured, they are fined, they end up in prisons, there have been homes bulldozed because they were having meetings there. But you know what? They're free. They are free. Because they know Jesus and they have the Holy Spirit, they are free from this world. Before Jesus saved you, try to remember back, for some of us it's been a long time. Before Jesus saved you, did you believe you were free? Probably so. That's one of the primary objections that people give to you in not getting saved. Why do I need Jesus? I'm free. I'm American. <laughs> I don't need Jesus. I, I'm, what do you mean I'm not free? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, 
for they are folly, they are foolishness to him. Unless God reveals it by the Spirit, they're not going to understand it. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is the message that I think God sent me here to give to you today. We're free only when we are saved and we have the Spirit of God. Remember the first scripture that we read, 2 Corinthians 3.17? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now it may sound like I'm saying if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saved, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm free, right? Well, yes, but there's a difference between being set free when Jesus came into your prison cell and unlocked the door and took you out and forgave your sins and said, go and sin no more, you were free, right? Right? You're free when you're saved. There's a difference between being set free and remaining free, living free, walking free. There's a difference. Yeah. The Bible talks about it as being as living in the flesh or living by the Spirit. There's the book of Galatians is an amazing book. You've got the, these Christians in Galatia, which these days is a part of Turkey. You've got these Christians in Galatia. Most of them are uh, not Jewish, and they've been told that these 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 Jewish Christians have come up and said, "Look, if you guys don't follow the Jewish law, you know, you're not really saved." And they're like, what? And so now they're trying to, they're, they're, they're circumcising themselves and they're trying to follow the Jewish dietary laws and doing all this kind of stuff. And, you know, Paul writes to them and goes, who bewitched you in this way? I mean, what, what is that all about? There's some things I want to read to you out of Galatians. Galatians 5.1, he says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free, came into our prison, set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. What is it that puts us in slavery? Sin, right? Galatians 5.13 says, You were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Galatians 5.16 and 17 says, I say then, here's what you got to do. Walk in the Spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts, or some, some translations say wars against the Spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to, they're opposed to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, if we're honest, all of us can say sometimes there's a war going on inside of us, right? Between the spirit of God who lives in us and what our flesh wants. Sometimes that war is happening. First Peter 2.16 says, live as people who are free. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Paul wrote a letter to Titus. And in Titus 3, 3, 3 through 6, he says this. Once we too, talking about himself and Titus, once we too were foolish and disobedient, 
We were misled and we became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy and evil and we hated each other. And when God our Savior appealed, appeared, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we've done, not because we followed the law, not because we did all the right stuff, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Amen. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Paul didn't just know this from divine revelation. He lived it. He said, we too, this is what happened. And now I have the Holy Spirit as proof. You have the Holy Spirit as proof. And that's how we know that Jesus has done this for us. And so for a while, Paul was free to travel. He was free to evangelize. He was free to make the disciples. You guys have probably all studied about his various missionary journeys, right? He was free to teach the Bible. He was free to start churches. But then he was arrested and he was tortured, and he was imprisoned, and he eventually was beheaded in Rome. And Andrew, the guy who went and planted the church in Ukraine, Andrew likewise traveled, but he came back to Greece to Achaia, the, a region called Achaia, and they crucified him. He wanted to be crucified not on a cross like we see it, but on a cross like this, and that's the way he was crucified because he didn't consider himself to be worthy to be crucified in the same fashion as Jesus. Were they still free? I tell you, they were. Yeah. Why? Because Jesus was their Lord and because they knew the Holy Spirit was their God. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, some people think Paul made a mistake. He went back to Jerusalem. Everybody's begging him not to go. The Ephesian elders are down on the beach crying and going, don't go back there. Don't you know what they're going to do to you? Didn't you hear what Agabus had to say? He told you, you're going to go back there bound. They're going to put you in chains. And Paul went, wait, I know what the Holy Spirit's calling me to do. And he goes back there. He gets arrested. He gets imprisoned. He gets tortured. He gets sent to Rome and he goes to prison. Is he free? Well... The Holy Spirit inspired him to write about two-thirds of the New Testament from there. I think he was doing what God wanted. Pretty sure he was free. So my question to you this morning is, are you living in freedom? Are there, are, are there areas of your life where you've given yourself again to the yoke of slavery? Slavery to sin. A yoke is a heavy thing. We put that on horses and mules and oxen and stuff so that they can pull a load. It's a heavy, heavy load. And that we can control them by moving that yoke around. The yoke of sin can get pretty burdensome. And here's the thing, as Christians, we don't have to carry that. But I bet we all have at one time or another. I know I have. Where I've got something that I've allowed the flesh to, where I've allowed the flesh to take over and it just, it's like a yoke around your neck and you feel terrible about it. You know that you don't, you're not supposed to live that way, but you're still carrying that yoke. Are there areas of your life where you've given yourself again to a yoke of slavery? You know, things like anger that we hold on to, lust, 
pride, the love of money, fear of what might happen, unbelief, hatred, substance abuse, that our love for God and for people has grown cold. Those are just some of the ways that we surrender our freedom. That yoke can be anything that controls your life other than God. If the Holy Spirit convicts you about anything in your life where you know your flesh has taken control, then guess what? He's speaking to you to say, be free. You need to listen to him and repent of that and allow God, even if it's something that's a, it's one of those besetting sins that you think, I just, I've worked so hard trying to get rid of this and I can't. Let the Holy Spirit move. Pray. If it takes 50 years, it takes 50 years, but I don't think it will. Because God's all about setting us free from our sins. You know, there's a lot of confusion and fear in our world and in this world today, we're tempted sometime to lose sight of faith, hope, and love. But I just want to encourage you this morning because there is a kingdom in this world that exceeds all of the kingdoms of this world. It's the kingdom of God. It's right here, right now. As we're gathered in this place, the kingdom of God is here among us. The kingdom of God is not confined to national borders. It's not subject to worldly rulers. It's not subject to the whims of man-made laws and human governments. There's no power on earth. There's no power in heaven. There is no power in hell that can stop or hinder the kingdom of God that is advancing toward the return of Jesus Christ. Once you are saved, you are born again to a new life, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you are indeed free. You were once a slave to sin, but God loved you. He chose you to be his child. You're free because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Your sins are forgiven. You are loved by God the Father. You are a joint heir with Christ. You have been adopted by God to inherit all the blessings and the treasures he's prepared for you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. That's the promise. So follow him. He empowers you to live in obedience to God's command. You're free from sin. You're free from death. You're free from eternal punishment. You're free to live. You're free to love. You are truly free in Jesus Christ. One day we're going to know the fullness of the freedom of God without temptation. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day. It may be at the end of our natural lives when we leave these mortal bodies and we're united with him in heaven. But if not, it will certainly be when the Lord returns. Until then, let's dedicate ourselves to live and walk in freedom as children of God. Live by the Spirit, not turning back or giving any ground to any enemy, internal or external. Preach the gospel, share your testimony, extend your hands to help others to also know the love and the freedom of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Ghost, I urge you, live free and celebrate his goodness. Now, I'm going to give an invitation here in just a minute, and I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up to be, to be ready to pray for people. And I want to encourage you this morning. I, I don't know everybody here, so I don't know if everybody here is even saved. So I'm just going to give this invitation. 
If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I mean really given control of your life to him, you may know all about Jesus, but you may not really know Jesus. He's standing there outside to the door of your little cell. He's got the keys in his hand, and he's opening that door right now. I want to encourage you. Come and give your life to Jesus Christ. It will be the most amazing thing you ever do in your life. And if you are saved, and if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet you've got a problem with some sin that is like this yoke that is weighing on you, get free of that today. You can do that sitting in your seat if you want to. Sometimes, though, it's good to confess our sins to one another so that we can get prayer and be freed from that, to expose that to the light of the gospel and the glory of God. And you may have other things you need prayer about here today. We've talked a lot about, there's a lot of illnesses and stuff going around. Our bodies, they wear down after time. As I said, I'm old. I know what that's like. So whether you need prayer for any of those things, I want to invite you to come to the altar today and get some prayer. It's good to have brothers and sisters pray together. If you're not saved, Remember, this is the day of your salvation. Jesus stands with his arms wide open and says, Come, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, come, let us lay hands on you and pray for you and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen.